So as we begin the second chapter of Ruth uh, this evening, looking at verses 1 through 16, we, uh, we are introduced, I'm sure you noticed, to a new character. Uh, indeed, uh, another main character in the story. In fact, we will perhaps uh, need to revisit that question as to who is the main character of the story told in the book of Ruth. As we've said, the title of this book would suggest that Ruth is the main character. Uh, however, the story really begins and ends with Naomi in view. Uh, it begins with Elimelech and Naomi going off to Moab looking for food, and the story ends with Naomi um, holding a, a grandchild on her knee. And yet, here comes another character, the man Boaz, and his place and role in the story is also very central. Boaz is even, arguably, the hero of the story. We've already pointed out several ways in which Christ is prefigured in the character of Naomi, but it's Boaz who shines forth the most, I think, in, in terms of being a type of Christ, that is, an early foreshadowing of the Savior who was yet to come. So this morning, or this evening, we meet Boaz. And the thing that perhaps most jumps out at us, I believe, is uh, that Boaz is just a really good man. Uh, he is a man of compassion and kindness. He is a man of blessing. It's interesting to note that uh, Boaz is a rare character in Scripture in that we never really are given any dirt on him, as we say. Uh, from his entrance in the story to the end of the book, Boaz is a man who behaves justly and kindly with everyone he meets. And so he brings to the story much of its intrigue and delightfulness. Uh, don't we enjoy hearing stories like the one we uh, are being told in the book of Ruth. Surely, uh, we are richly blessed not just to hear stories, but actually perhaps to meet in our own lives uh, uh, and, and get to know people like Boaz, people who just understand uh, what it is and, and how to do it when it comes to looking out for others, seeking to do the right thing, living their life really for the blessing and the well-being of those around them. But this is not to overlook or belittle Ruth herself in this part of the story. Ruth, as well, is just a really good woman. She is a person of integrity and, and character in the way she conducts herself. And yet the focus at this point is clearly on Boaz. Verse 1 even introduces Boaz to us before switching to Ruth to set up the rest of the story. Verse 1 reads, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So first of all, in order to, excuse me, in, in order to gain what we should gain from this story of Boaz, we ought to start by understanding what gleaning is, or perhaps to ask what gleaning was, uh, particularly in the day of Ruth. Uh, verse 2 reads, And Ruth the Moabite, again, this story, like last time, or in this story, we hear a, a clear emphasis on 
Ruth's identity as a Moabite. Uh, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, uh, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And verse 3 adds, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. What is, uh, what is happening here? The context, of course, uh, or the setting is, is harvest time. In fact, chapter 1 closed, if you recall, with that statement, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So what is gleaning? Gleaning was the practice of uh, going into the fields after the fields had been harvested, um, after the produce had been picked, um, after the harvesting had been uh, done, uh, whatever had been missed or whatever had perhaps fallen to the ground uh, was to be left there. Um, whether it was left and missed on the, on the vine or whether it, was, um, whether it had fallen to the ground, uh, it was the opportunity for the poor of the land to obtain food. God's law stipulated that those who owned the land were not allowed to harvest their fields twice, we might say. Um, They were not allowed to strip the fields bare by way of multiple passes through the fields. Instead, they were to pick once, to make one pass through the field, and then the field was open to the poor, to those who otherwise would have no grain, because they had no harvest of their own. All too often we hear people uh, railing against the Bible because it talks about the practice of slavery. And it is true that God's people had slaves. Uh, We ought not to try to deny that. Uh, They even had slaves that they owned. Uh, But what often gets ignored is to see that God's law, while not prohibiting slavery, yet, yet God's law regulated slavery very closely and, and strictly required that slaves were to be treated justly. In fact, the law of God given to Israel at Mount Sinai was hugely unprecedented in its day. The liberal scholars don't want to talk about that, just how early Uh, God's law comes in in human history and how uh, unprecedented it is that that God in his law uh, gave such care to uh, those who were poor or were otherwise slaves. No other nation or culture at this time, nor for centuries afterward, uh, ever had a law that called as much for the just treatment of workers by landowners. This is not to say that Israel always followed their own law. Uh, The book of the prophets uh, uh, contain rebukes from God for Israel's injustice toward the poor, and, and God's people were eventually turned over to other nations as slaves themselves because of their sin, among which sin was the unjust treatment of slaves and the poor. The other thing that gets ignored is, uh, is what is essentially economic slavery in our own day. Uh, I'm no economist, uh, 
but it seems fairly widely understood that our economy is based largely on the credit card industry, which basically wants you to borrow money from them so that you'll enter into a long-term relationship of paying off your debt to them, along, of course, with the uh, exorbitant interest rate that they charge. I don't have the statistics, but uh, perhaps it's even some majority of, of people in our nation and culture live and work every day paying off credit debt. Uh, Granted, this is not the kind of slavery we see in the past day and culture, but but it still seems rather strange that some would attack the Bible because of the practice of slavery found in it, while they are remarkably quiet about the abuses and injustices that are built into our own economic system. So here's one example of of the justice called for by God's law. And not only were the poor given second pickings, as we might call it, but they were also allowed first pickings, so long as they weren't using a tool to do it, so long as they weren't uh, taking the main part of the harvest. So if they were hungry, they were allowed to pick enough grain for themselves as they walked through the fields. Does that sound familiar? You may know the story in Matthew 12, to be exact. Uh, We're told of the day when the apostles or the uh, disciples of Jesus were hungry, and uh, and they began to, to pluck heads of grain and to eat them as they walked through the fields. And when the Pharisees saw it, they didn't say to Jesus, Hey, why are your disciples stealing grain? No, instead they said, look, your, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. It wasn't that they were uh, being accused of stealing. It was, in fact, that they were uh, picking grain on the Sabbath. And that's what upset uh, the Pharisees. So what does it tell us about Ruth that... Uh, that she was not only willing, but even eager to go out gleaning. Surely it portrays her as a woman of humility. In order to glean, it, uh, it certainly required that you had to admit that you were poor and willing to identify with the poor. And surely it wasn't the case that Naomi uh, was incapable of gleaning as well, but Ruth was younger. And so she took it upon herself to be the one to go glean, to join the other poor of the village in following after the harvesters and picking what was missed and what was dropped. And this makes a, another point that we ought to take from Scripture, that, that, that nowhere in God's Word does it say that justice requires that we all have the same amount of money. Or, or the same degree of talent and, and ability. Uh, God is sovereign in His grace. Uh, he gives according to uh, His own will and wisdom. Uh, Romans 12, verse 6 even says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And so we are called not to covet those who have more than we do, And those who have more must remember to use what they have 
to be a blessing to others, to those who have less than they do. And that brings us to Boaz, introducing Boaz, the man of blessing. Who was he? Well, he was clearly a landowner, clearly a a wealthy man. But notice the things that we are told about him that show he was a good man, a, a just man, a man of blessing to others. First, he participated personally in the harvest. That's the point, I think, of verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. On one hand, the statement might seem unnecessary. After all, we've already been told the story is set in Bethlehem. We noted the huge emphasis on Bethlehem already. So why are we now told, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem? The point is to tell us that Boaz is, is not a farmer who, who would sit at home while his servants completed the harvest by themselves. He, he came and, and worked among them, side by side with those who were only servants. Surely there were other landowners. We, we probably know of such wealthy people in our own day, those who, who took advantage of their wealth and, and who refused to associate and to work alongside their own servants or employees. Not so with Boaz. He got out there and worked hard right along with his servants. Second, he greeted the reapers. As he arrived in the fields, the second half of verse 4 tells us, And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. So what we see in this is, is that Boaz respected his servants. He recognized in them their great value to him, and he appreciated them. And I think it's fair to say that when Boaz greeted the reapers, that he was also greeting the gleaners. The text makes a distinction between the reapers and the gleaners. Um, the reapers it would seem being paid servants, the, the gleaners being the poor who had come to follow after the reapers. But I think the point here is that Boaz was greeting them all. And in this way, it shows us that Boaz not only knew the law of God, that these, these poor had a right to be there, but that Boaz also welcomed them that, uh, um, that uh, in this way shows us that he did not resent them for coming to take part in the harvest, uh, that part that belonged to them as well. And, and as those whom Boaz greeted returned his greeting, isn't that uh, an interesting detail? It, it shows us that both his servants and the gleaners respected him and honored him as the landowner. Third, Boaz uh, took notice of Ruth. Verse 5 reads, Then Boaz uh, said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, uh, Whose young woman is this? And the, the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Notice again the emphasis on Ruth as a Moabite. When, as we said last time, she, she didn't fully belong there. She, she wasn't told to leave town, but she didn't yet fully belong. But here the point is that Boaz, even beyond just tolerating her, he took special notice of her and welcomed her warmly and kindly. Which brings us to a fourth indication of Boaz's goodness, he, 
he made arrangements and he gave orders for Ruth's protection. Verse 8 reads, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. And we can hear how the text carries a sense of urgency, I think, and a, 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 a concern from Boaz for Ruth's well-being. Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Uh, there's a detail here that's uh, interesting to note. Uh, you, you can imagine that as the uh, harvesters harvested a field, they were trained to do so. Uh, the gleaners, on the other hand, were unskilled, and, and, and they didn't have specific responsibilities in their labors, and they didn't have somebody supervising their work. So, so the gleaners were probably known to wander, um, because uh, even from one field uh, to another, there may be a, a difference in the amount of, uh, of, of produce that was available to glean. Um, the thought probably came to them. I wonder if I might do better uh, in another field. Uh, maybe the harvesters over there are, are not quite as good. Maybe they're missing more. Maybe they're dropping more to the ground. I think that's why Boaz says, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. In other words, he's giving, him, he's giving her instruction on how to be a good gleaner. Don't wander off. Don't glean haphazardly. Stay in my fields. And then here's the reason in verse 9. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and, and drink what the young men have drawn. So here we see that the, the point is uh, not to set up some idyllic scene uh, on the on the. Uh, you know, painted on a china plate. Um, this is not some idyllic scene in, in which everyone is just as good as can be. Uh, Boaz, would, would, would seem, knew that there were bad men among the servants. Uh, he knew that uh, uh, some of them might harass Ruth. Uh, some of them might even try to assault her. She was weak and otherwise... Uh, helpless, and, and so he gave specific orders that no one was to bother her. Uh, he made it clear that uh, he knew her and that, she, that, that he was concerned for her. Um, in a sense, uh, he was saying, if you mess with Ruth, you'll be messing with me. Uh, even more, Boaz uh, allowed Ruth to drink water along with his servants so that uh, at break time as well, she would be encouraged to stay in his fields and stay close to his servants. And that brings us to a fifth way that, that we see the goodness of Boaz. He, he provided for Ruth's thirst and hunger as she worked. Here we are seeing Boaz going above and beyond the letter of the law. Again, surely there were landowners who... Uh, um, who resented having to allow the, the poor into their fields. Uh, surely there were those who barely tolerated the poor in their fields. But Boaz answered not only the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law as well. The spirit of the law was 
a genuine kindness and concern for the poor. According to the letter of the law, the gleaners could have uh, been left to well, get their own water and to eat from what they had picked or, or to eat whatever they might have brought with them. But Boaz provides both water and food for Ruth so that she would not have to eat from, from what she had picked so that she, would, uh, so that she could rest at mealtimes and not have to uh, go in search to find water. What a good man, right? I mean, what a, what a man of blessing. And, and I think it's worth noting uh, this picture of people behaving justly. People behaving justly. First, there's Ruth, just to review, being willing to go out and work, not only for her own well-being, but for that of her mother-in-law, Naomi. Ruth clearly had not come home uh, with Naomi in order to avoid hard labor, in order to sponge off of her mother-in-law and her people. And she even recognized Naomi as her own parent. Uh, she sought permission from Naomi that uh, she might go into the fields along with, with the other poor in order to glean. Even more, when Boaz shows favor to her, uh, she falls on her face. She bows to the ground and and, and she says to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? You can imagine that uh, another person might have perhaps resented the special treatment out of envy, envy and bitterness towards someone many times wealthier than them. But Ruth accepts the protection and provision of Boaz, she does so with humility, and she does so with respect for the higher position of Boaz. And then there's Boaz, as we've already noted. Again, he, he didn't take his servants for granted. He didn't lord it over them, as we say. And uh, he didn't resent the presence of the gleaners who had come to take their share of his harvest, really. Uh, Boaz recognized that it wasn't just his harvest, uh, the harvest belonged to all the people. Uh, what was due to him was the first pass through the fields, and what was due to others was everything else. And this is how we need to look at our own income as well. Uh, we need to maybe even think about it this way, that, that if we work six days a week, as we're called to do, then the first five days uh, we are allowed to work for ourselves. Um, to earn what we need and, and even to perhaps grow wealthy as God may choose to, to bless us to that degree. But on the sixth day, we might look at it this way, that, that on the sixth day or maybe some portion of the sixth day, we, we need to think about working for others. So we, we, we need to begin to earn money uh, that we... Uh, sort of understand and, and slate in our own hearts and minds uh, those resources that we would use to bless others around us. Do we do this? Do we, do we think about our work and our earnings in this way? Um, or is our work only about us and our, our families, perhaps? And, and I want to point out, uh, while, while, justice would, uh, or, or, while justice should be practiced, in the wider society in which we live, yet it is the church. It's the church that should shine 
like a, a city on a hill in this respect. It's, it's the church that should be made up of people behaving justly. Uh, within the church, we, we are not all equal when it comes to our possessions and skills and, and abilities. But, but within the church, we look out for each other. In the church, we, we, um, um, we, we even things out to a degree. Um, as is needed for anyone to be provided for. The Apostle Paul made it clear that if someone does not work, neither should they be given allowance to eat. But as we all work and as we have more and, and some have less than they need, we, we need to be ready to give to each other to support one another. We should love and care for each member of the church, and, and, and to do so not resentfully, but, um, and, and not just because we have to, but, but because we want to, uh, because we know how gracious and kind God has been to us, and we are moved with, by gratitude to be gracious and kind to each other. And that brings us to a fourth and final point from Boaz to Christ. Let's begin already to, to see uh, Christ in the uh, person of Boaz. Uh, the point of this story is, is not just to be like Ruth or to be like Boaz. Yes, these are glowing examples uh, for us to notice and to remember as a guide for our lives and behavior, especially in how we relate to each other in the church. But there is an even better example in Scripture, and that's, of course, the example of Christ. Think of how Christ outshines Boaz. Christ not only showed concern for the poor, he even laid down his life for the poor. He not only gave some, he gave all. He suffered and died on the cross for poor sinners like you and me. So no, we are not given any dirt on Boaz, but surely we must understand that Boaz was not yet the Christ. He was not yet the man who was so perfect that his perfection could be credited to sinners to save them before a holy and just God. Boaz was a glowing type of Christ, a foreshadowing of the one who was to come, the one who would save not just one woman and her mother-in-law, but would save all his people, even taking them all as his bride and bringing them under his very special care. But here's the thing, that, that especially when we shift our focus from Boaz to Christ, we begin to see that, that a good example is not enough for us. A good example really only functions like the law does. A good example can, can guide our obedience, but it also teaches us our sin. The example of Boaz points out the, the selfishness and, and even the cruelty toward others that is very natural to our hearts and is, uh, is all too common in our behavior. If we are proud... We might just ignore the example of Boaz and continue treating others poorly. But if we are naive, we might say, yes, I will do this, 
And by my goodness, I will earn God's favor and stand before him in my own righteousness. So a good example is likely to prove that we are, we, we, we are proud and rebellious in our sin or naive and overconfident in our obedience. Instead, may the example of Boaz point us onward to the example of Christ. And from the example of Christ, let us know our sin and our need for Christ to be far more than just our example Christ must be our Savior. You see, Christ did not just come to show us how to do it. Yes, He lived a perfect life before us, but His perfect life proves to us that we are sinners. Christ did not just come to show us how to do it. He came to do it for us. Uh, He didn't come just to show us the way, but to be the way and the truth, and the life. He didn't come just to spur us on by His example, but to teach us by His example that we need His blood to cleanse us and His righteousness to clothe us. Without Him, we are yet clothed in the filthy rags of our own righteousness. But with Him, by looking to Him in faith, and relying upon His obedience for us, we are counted righteous by His perfect obedience. And then, yes, we, uh, as we are looking to Him in faith, as, as we are counted righteous by God in the righteousness of His Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, then the Spirit of Christ fills us. Then the Spirit of Christ will rule with us. Then by the Spirit of Christ we can begin to live as Christ did, living for the well-being and the blessing of, first of all, brothers and sisters within the church. And even as Boaz was a blessing to Ruth, so Christ will care for us. He will dwell among us. Even as Boaz did not count himself too good, to go into his own fields and work alongside of his servants, so Christ is with us every day. That's his promise. I will be with you always to the end of the age. So Christ is not only working alongside us, but he is also working in us, and he is working through us. And I think that's uh, just an amazing thing to remember. And even as Boaz greeted the reapers and the gleaners, so Christ greets us and he counts us as his own. Even as Boaz referred to Ruth as his daughter, so Christ calls us his brothers and sisters and he makes us to be children of his heavenly father. And even as Boaz gave protection and provision to Ruth, so Christ supplies us daily with all that we need. I invite you and urge you, perhaps this week, to, to read this story again and to think about how the blessings that Boaz lavished upon Ruth, how they foreshadow the blessings that Christ lavishes upon you. As Boaz was to Ruth, yet imperfectly, so Christ is to us perfectly. And even as we come to sit at the table of our Lord next, next week, the Lord willing, let's remember how Ruth sat at Boaz's table 
Look at verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. Looks like the Lord's Supper. So she ate beside the reapers, and she passed, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied. In the end, the point is uh, not just to look at and notice Boaz. The point is to look to Christ in faith and to sit at his table and to receive by faith the provision of his own body and blood for our salvation. Let's close in prayer. As we continue in this uh, wonderful story, O oh God, our Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for um, the opportunity to see uh, such a, a tender picture, such an um, um, inspiring uh, image of a man acting justly and uh, uh, a woman uh, acting uh, with humility. And, uh, O oh Lord, uh, may this indeed be an example to us, but ultimately may we May we see Christ in it, and may we um, uh, understand that it is, uh, uh, even as it is Christ's provision for us that, that saves us, even as Boaz made such uh, lavish provision for Ruth. We pray that we would each and, uh, and all uh, put and keep our faith uh, in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.